This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Brett, great to see you in person. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brett. And congratulations on the book. Thank you very much. I mean, uh, the first thing that, co- that comes to mind, too, is your colleague, the Wall Street Journal reporter, uh, scooped up for being a spy right. by the Russians. We all know he didn't. He's not a spy. And Brett, in fact, uh, uh, he wrote his col- Evan wrote his column and it just so happens his last column talked about how the sanctions are paying such a economic toll on the Russians. Do you think it has anything to do with it? Well, I think uh, it, it's not so much a specific article that he wrote. It's, it's really the Russian state made a decision. They wanted to do something like this. They had a list drawn up. That's, that's our understanding of possible targets. And, and they wanted to go after somebody. They wanted to take a Western reporter, preferably an American, to make a statement. And they did, even though he's got a Russian background, really liked the country and was just doing his job. Uh, any reason, any way that he's linked to being a spy is just comical. Evan is a dedicated professional journalist, period. Why are the Russians feeling so bold to do this? Well, I mean, between uh, the Marine, between the WNBA star, Griner, and now this. It's a great question, and uh, you know, I, I lived in Moscow for five years, and I've been working there in Russia for 20 years, and, uh, and I've seen this evolution. It really goes back to uh, a case that the DEA put together against the arms dealer Victor Boot in 2008. After that, uh, the DEA then uh, took another Russian, uh, a pilot, uh, who was smuggling drugs in Africa. See, but you just described two people doing bad things. Exactly, exactly. These were people committing crimes internationally. Um, the U.S. took them down, and uh, over a number of years, the Russians decided, you know, we're going we're gonna to react to this. So they started taking Americans. And what's the, what's the consequences? They get their people. They get their people back. Victor well, Boot is back. Brittany Griner's back. Exactly. And that really comes to, you know, a decision for the administration or various administrations. Uh, how do you deal with this? Do you, how, will you play hardball with the Russians and what's the result? Um, we also see the uh, we Sergei McGinsky and we had the famous McGinsky Act. Yep. And the McGinsky Act is uh, the lawyer for Bill Browder mm-hmm. who was tortured and killed mm-hmm. uh, and they, in an effort to get Bill Browder to come back because they feel as though he was a billionaire by illegal, illicit means. But he wasn't. He just happened to be a capitalist in Russia. That's right. That's right. I mean that, that case, the Magnitsky case uh, related to Browder's uh, activities and investments in Russia really shows the sort of cynical, uh, deep cynical nature of uh, – of uh, some folks in Russia who've come to power and influence. Uh, this was uh, a scheme perpetrated by people uh, who were Russian officials, uh, and they were simply trying to uh, to steal money uh, baldly. Which is kind of interesting. I don't know if it plays into this, but Tara Reid, the accuser of Joe Biden, she is now defected to Russia. And Edward Snowden, when he decided to give up some secrets and intelligence, he didn't want to be a whistleblower. He didn't trust the process. And went from Hong Kong to Russia. Mm -hmm. Well, I've always thought that that speaks volumes. I mean, the fact that someone like Snowden would would do what he did and then take refuge in a place like Russia without criticizing Russia certainly says something. And you'll remember, too, in 2013 when he took refuge there, um, there was talk about uh, possibly making a trade for 
but for Snowden, for Victor Boot, or for the Russian pilot that I mentioned. But, instead, but we don't want him back. No, well, maybe not. Maybe not now. But at the time, there was serious talk about that. But instead, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, granted uh, Snowden asylum. Um, I do want to talk about what's happening in Russia. They got, Moscow got hit a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. There's been some strikes inside Russia. Mm-hmm. This is not the way the Ukraine invasion was supposed to go for Russia. Could you describe what it's like as we watch the ineptness of their military, the unwillingness for those to serve, the, un, uh, the unavailability of the children of rich people in Russia to actually fight this war, the private armies that are sprouting up because their real army is not doing much? Yeah. Well, goodness, we haven't we seen a great surprise there? I mean, before this war began, we uh, we all, I think, mostly held the Russian military in, in high esteem, right? And we've seen how poorly they've uh, they've behaved on the battlefield. And you're right; it's uh, their their lack of success has really uh, uh, revealed a lot of fissures uh, within. Does the it Russian. surprise you as somebody who lived there? Uh, you know, it doesn't because. Um, for one, we we're aware of the great corruption within the Russian military, and we've seen how that how how that that has been borne out within the war. You see a lot of people, a lot of soldiers, and who are unprepared, don't have the right gear, who don't have the right weapons. And we see a lot of old weapons, unguided missiles, you know, hitting apartment buildings. We see just the lack of planning over many years of the Russian military, and that, of course. Gives rise to people like uh, Prigozhin, who's the head of Wagner, the uh, you know the, the the paramilitary group, to to stake his own claim to power. And Wagner, who has this elite unit, well, next thing you know, he's recruiting in prisons. Right. Right. So, how elite are you if you have no choice but to serve or die or rot in a cell? You know, interestingly, I I spoke with a couple uh, gentlemen who are uh, in prison in Russia currently, and they told me that. Uh, that Wagner came to their their prison uh, twice last year, and they described the conditions. They said that uh, you know that um, uh, the, the first wave of recruitment actually uh, uh, a lot of people volunteered for it, but then uh, subsequently they learned that, uh, that they, the the guys who went to war didn't fare so well. Um, it's a death sentence, basically, because a lot of these guys are just they're just cannon fodder uh, for Wagner. I mean, you remember the movie The Dirty Dozen, right? Sure. This is sort of like. Uh, a perverted Russian version of that. With me right now is Brett Forrest, national security reporter for the Wall Street Journal and author of a new book, uh, Lost Son, an American Family Trapped Inside the FBI's Secret War. So tell me about the book, Brett. How did you uh, stumble upon this story? How did you pursue it? Right. Well, this came to me actually late 2017. It's a long time ago now. It was a source of mine, an American guy with uh, deep contacts in Russia. And also um, he was being considered for positions in the incoming uh, Trump administration. And he told me that he knew of uh, a, a story, a case of a young man from Michigan who'd gotten uh, wrapped up with the FBI, worked for the FBI for five years as what's known as a confidential human source, working mostly in counterterrorism. And uh, one day after the war in, uh, in, in Russia began, in Ukraine, that is, uh, he told his parents that he was traveling to Russia. This was 2015. He went there. He was there for about six weeks. Suddenly he disappeared. His parents lost track of him. And very soon after that, his FBI handler came to the door, said he knew nothing about the trip to Russia, and began confiscating devices from the family and eventually shut them out. And right away I knew that this was a story that I could possibly pursue for the Wall Street Journal. But I also thought that um, if we were able to get results here for the family, that this could be something that could be expanded into a book. 
So that's interesting. You go from a reporter to basically a supporter. Mm-hmm. Well, an yeah. advocate. Well, uh, an investigator. I, you know, interesting. Interesting. I wouldn't say that necessarily. Uh, you know, I'm I'm always a reporter. I don't advocate for people. Um, what I was trying to do in this story was to investigate it, to get a result, to find out what happened to this this gentleman named Billy Riley. And what what made you uh, well with your experience in Russia? You mm-hmm. felt as though you could be successful. But well, Russia's constantly changing, becoming a more hostile place. Did that give you second thoughts? Well, it did. It did. I mean, I've seen the evolution. When I first went to Russia in 2002, as you remember, uh, Vladimir Putin was pretty new in the job. We kind of, the United States kind of liked him. Uh, he was very close with George W. Bush, or at least he seemed so. They, they spent time on his ranch in Texas. Remember, I looked into his soul. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, but I, I saw that relationship deteriorate between our two countries over, over many years. Because of him, would you say? Or does it be, do, you, do, you, do you blame us? Um, well, that's a very good question. Uh, these things are, are, are never so clear. Um, I, it, it's difficult to place blame. I, I mean, if I had to place it a, a, on one person, it would be Vladimir Putin, simply because he has stayed in power too long. And when you stay in power too long, often your thoughts turn to your place in history. And I don't want a leader who's t- thinking about his place in history. Right. I want a leader who's thinking about doing what's right for the country. And what you had to do is deal with Vladimir Putin's Russia. And I don't want you to give away the ending of this. It's too important uh, to the story. Uh, it's really happened. It's not fiction. But could you give us an idea of what you found when you started pursuing or the venues you started first looking? Certainly. So I knew uh, initially that the parents uh, had gone to Russia themselves in search of their son. And they had gone there, I believe, in uh, 2017. Now, they're just uh, regular folks from Michigan. They don't have any contacts over there. They don't know anybody. And, uh, you know, they tried their best. They really dedicated their lives to this. Um, I thought that I might be able to help because of my experience there, because I indeed do know people and I can get around and have language skills. So I learned that uh, Billy had um, had flown to Moscow and then taken a train down to a southern city in Russia uh, called Rostov-on-Don, which was the staging ground for Russian military activity just across the border into eastern Ukraine. And I learned that Billy uh, had set himself up at a, a camp there for volunteer fighters. These were guys, mostly Russians, but international people as well, who were collected down there uh, with the intent to cross the border into Ukraine to join volunteer fighter battalions fighting against Kiev in the eastern part of Ukraine. So here you had a guy who was an FBI source who was at a Russian volunteer fighter camp. On his own? And the FBI tell... Okay, the FBI telling you he's on his own. Well, the FBI, of course, is uh, not really saying much. Um, I mean, this this book began as an article in the Wall Street Journal, and uh, and I gave the FBI pre-publication of more than 100 questions, and the FBI didn't answer a single one. Uh, they did give me one single line, and they said that they had not sent Billy Riley to Russia, and that's it. Got it. So a few more minutes uh, with Brett Forrest when we get back. Brett, I want to ask you about what's going on with Christopher Ray's FBI. And what your take is and talk more about this story. Uh, listen, this is a real life mystery. Lost son, an American family trapped inside the FBI secret war. Brett Forrest of The Wall Street Journal here. Uh, don't move. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show on Thursday. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's really unfortunate. The notion that the FBI is some sort of leftist cabal out to get the Republicans is so crazy. It just shows you how crazy our times are. The FBI will be fine in the long run. This fever around Donald Trump and the MAGA world will eventually break, but it's become somehow a nutty article of faith that the FBI is out to get Republicans. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the evidence is overwhelming that he's a fraud and he shouldn't be trusted and he's sanctimonious and self-obsessed and was one of the worst FBI directors who's done more damage to their organizations than just about anybody else. Welcome back, everyone. Brett Forrest, National Security Reporter for The Wall Street Journal with us, author of uh, Lost Son, An American Family Trapped Inside the FBI's Secret War. And this family turned to Brett Forrest to help find his son located uh, located inside Russia and that's what this story is about, uh, Brett helping uh, the family, but more importantly, just trying to find out what exactly is going on as the FBI cleaned out his house. And then the family was left really with no way of getting, getting in touch and finding out what happened to their son. So that's all chronicled in his story. Uh, Brett, you spent so much time in Russia and the Ukraine. You just told me in the break, uh, outside Kiev is Bucha. And once it was clear that Kiev was not going to be captured by the Russians, it's going to be a longer uh, war. They backed out. And they unveiled. What did they unveil in Bucha? You were the first reporter on the scene to see this massacre? Yeah, that's right. I, I happened to be in Kiev at that time, and I saw a photo on uh, social media of uh, several bodies with their uh, wrists uh, tied behind their backs. And I, and I knew that it was located nearby. And so I raced out there with uh, you know the bodyguard and a photographer and a fixer. And we arrived with incredible timing. It just so happened uh, that the local militia was retaking the town. We pulled up to the administration building, and they were just reinstalling the Ukrainian flag, and they were singing the national anthem just as we were getting out of the car. It was just uh, a happenstance. And... um, and the local uh, militia leader, he's, he said, you know, come back another day. It's too dangerous here. Uh, Russians have booby-trapped the town. We haven't had, a t- had time to clear it. And, you know, and I, there was great appetite for information. This was the first month of the war. Um, it was maybe like six weeks in. And uh, we needed to know what had happened there. So I persuaded him to give me a couple of guys, and, and we drove around the town. And, uh, you know, uh, it, was, it was raw. It was as raw as you can imagine. Death? Because, yeah. I mean, there were hundreds of bodies um, all around Bucha. Civilians or, or military? I didn't see a single bo- body wearing any military uniform. So it was the, the mass killing of mm-hmm. innocent Ukrainians. Yes. And a lot of these people were elderly, uh, women, men, uh, a, a great mix of just local inhabitants. Um, you know, people who were killed uh, clearly while they were riding bicycle executed yeah well in many different ways because i eventually got to talk to survivors people who were huddling in, in basements for a month uh, trying to save themselves against the russians and heard so many stories about uh, just senseless killings also uh uh planned killings for the uh, russians they, they they put snipers in different high positions and when people would try and leave the town they would take them out wow um it's hard to shake that 
Yeah, I mean, that's not something you can be prepared to see. So now the Ukrainians are more determined than ever to take their country back. They have 17 percent, the Russians do. What do you expect with the surge in the last minute we have? I expect uh, the Ukrainians to throw everything they have Will they have at success? The it depends what you mean by success. I mean, Getting their country back? The Ukrainians have sacrificed so much that it's, it's very difficult for them to think about sitting down at the table with Russia. Will they hit Crimea first? I know that they, they are determined to take it back. That's all the way. Yeah. And that's why there's no, nothing to talk about. One country invaded the other and is not leaving. So there's no, how do you talk peace? That is the central thing to remember. Uh, by the way, pick up a great book. Brett Forrest, a fantastic reporter, lost son, an American family trapped inside the FBI's secret war, and read everything Brett writes. Brett, thanks so much. Thank you, Ryan. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.